They were going to drop me off on the Georgian side of the border. I was going to go through and meet my other guide in Armenia on the other side. We get to the border and she tells me, okay, here you go. You know, we'll wait outside for 10 or 15 minutes just to make sure you get through and everything's okay. There weren't weren't too many people in line, maybe four or five people in front of me. Get up to the border guard, to the booth there, hand the man my passport, and he says, do you have a visa for Azerbaijan? Happy Earth Day and welcome back to Drive With Us podcast where we explore driving cultures around the world by bringing on a new guest each episode to talk about the crazy things they've experienced on the road, who they are as drivers, and how they became the driver they are today. I'm Bavneet. And I'm Taranjeet. But before we get into who today's guest is, which you could probably already tell by the title, a quick little plug because, you know, we shouldn't be afraid to ask for help, right? And feel free to forward past this small update if you're like, just give me the stories. I just want to hear the guests' crazy driving stories. Go ahead and skip past this update. But if you enjoy this show and would love to support us so we can continue to put out podcasts for you each and every week, you can buy us a coffee or become a patron on Patreon by searching for Drive With Us Podcast. We're putting the links for those in our show notes below. By becoming a patron, you'll get lots of bonuses and extra content. And depending on the tier that you select, you could get a DWAP sticker or air freshener episodes one week early and lots more. We are truly grateful for all your support, no matter if it's just listening to our episodes and sharing it with others or if you choose to become a patron. Thank you for choosing to drive with us each and every week. And today's driver is Ralph Velasco, a professional travel photographer, author, public speaker, blogger, and new YouTube creator. For the past 12 years, he has organized and led small group tours around the world through his two travel brands. He is usually on internationally He is usually internationally on the road for 8 to 9 months of the year and has made over 100 international trips. Ralph shares with us the time he was accidentally dropped off at the wrong border and almost crossed racing around Turkey like a rock star, and struggling with a rental car in France. Let's meet today's driver, Ralph Velasco. Welcome, Ralph. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's great to be here. I'm super excited to hear your stories, especially since you travel so much throughout the year. And I can't wait to hear the crazy driving experiences that you've had during those travels. So what would you say is the most craziest or most interesting driving experience you've had? Well, I have have had quite a few. It's about two years ago, almost exactly. And I was in Tbilisi, Georgia. I had just arrived for my first trip there. And my local tour operator picked me up at the airport. And, you know, the traffic didn't seem like much to me, but I could tell she was a little bit hesitant driving. I'm I'm the passenger. And so she was just kind of taking her time and going slowly and, you know, being very cautious, which was fine. And then she says, oh, don't worry about my driving. Tomorrow, my father's going to drive us and I'll be able to talk to you and answer your questions and not have to concentrate on the road. To be honest, in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> I was I was kind of happy about that because overall, having been to Georgia now, the equivalent of three or four months total, their driving can is something to be desired. Let's just put it that way. 
So the next day, her father and her picked me up at my hotel. He's an older gentleman, and that's, you know, that's fine. But I'm thinking, okay, great, experienced driver, we're going to be fine. So little did I know that he just might have been one of the worst drivers I've ever been with. And I had to spend a total of, I think, two days with them, driving about eight hours a day because they were showing me all around the area, which is great. And my tour operators do this all the time, and I can't be more thankful. So I don't want to sound like I wasn't appreciative. But uh, it was one of those things where I don't know how he did it, but he slowed down to pass people and he sped up to be passed. Now think about that. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know how it happened or it, it didn't work all the time, but it was one of those things where he slowed down to pass people and sped up to be passed. So you can imagine what that, what kind of other drivers are even there aren't the best drivers or giving them all kinds of grief, I'm sure. <laughs> but I was uh, pretty, pretty scared, I'll be honest with you. And for some times, I mean, I, I literally feared for my life a few times. So that was kind of scary. <laughs> that sounds like reverse logic, <laughs> slowing down for passing and then speeding up to let people pass. Yeah, I, I don't, it didn't work real well, but it's one of those things where he, he, I guess he didn't want to be passed. So he would speed up so the person couldn't get in front of him. And then, you know, even on two lane roads where the driver in front of us might be slower, he goes around and then he would slow down instead of, you know, speeding up to get in front of that person before anyone comes the other way. He would slow down. So we're going side by side on a two lane road. And, and I'm just like fearing for my life. Life. He's like, I need to see who's driving this car so slowly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so then uh, it was time for me to leave because I was going to Armenia right after that. And Armenia borders Georgia to the south. And her and her father were kind enough to take me to the border so that I could meet my Armenian guide on the other side. They were going to drop me off on the Georgian side of the border. I was going to go through and meet my other guide in Armenia on the other side. This way, they didn't have to deal with going to the other country unnecessarily. We get to the border and she tells me, okay, here you go. You know, we'll wait outside for 10 or 15 minutes just to make sure you get through and everything's okay. Yeah, I've got my bag and everything, say my goodbyes. There weren't, weren't too many people in line, maybe four or five people in front of me. Get up to the border guard, to the booth there, hand the man my passport, and he says, do you have a visa for Azerbaijan? I says, no, sir, I'm going to Armenia. He said, this is the Azerbaijani border. Oh, <laughs> they dropped me <laughs> off at the wrong border. And pulling up, I didn't see a flag. I didn't see any signage that would have indicated to me that it was the Azerbaijan border. And so they didn't know it either. I don't think they'd been there for many years. So they weren't quite you know, familiar with it. Thank goodness they waited for me and I was able to come back out and find them. And then they had to drive me 45 minutes to the Armenian border. Oh my God, that's so crazy. <laughs> How do you end up at the wrong border? Yeah. And thank goodness that Azerbaijan requires a visa because had I gotten through, I might have had trouble coming back to try to get to Armenia. But because they had, they had a visa requirement, the guy wouldn't let me through. And that really saved me. Wow, that is crazy. But yeah, you are lucky in that sense that you didn't end up crossing that border. And then it was more of a problem. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. You know, it was something that we laughed about. But I'll be honest, I was kind of relieved that, oh boy, I'm done with having to to drive with, with this man. And sure enough, I could not get away. I had this another 45 minutes with him to the other border. <laughs> Just one more drive. <laughs> so speaking of worst drivers, where would you say you've encountered, I guess, the best drivers? You know, I, Certainly Germany comes to mind. They're very experienced. I think the U.S. has very good drivers, mostly outside of the city, I suppose. I think probably Germany would come to mind first. Well, I guess it makes sense then. They have the Autobahn, so you got to be a good driver if they're going to have such a high-speed highway. Yeah, for sure. I, I've got to think that they're very experienced, and you know, you have to be pretty confident to drive on a, an Autobahn that has no speed limits and parts of it. Well, since you have spent so much time in different countries, I think you mentioned eight to nine months internationally every year, we're interested to hear what perspective is in terms of if you've ever encountered any stereotypes of different drivers or like any particular types of drivers in certain areas? Boy, it comes to mind when I think about scooters and Vietnam and Cambodia, because they've just literally got millions of scooters that add a whole different element to the driving situation. Now, I've been on the back of scooters. I don't know if I've ever rented one and actually driven one there, but I've often been in tuk-tuks and other types of vehicles and group vehicles for our groups and things like that. And you know, certainly you're affected by all of these scooters around and you just can't believe the way that they buzz in and out of traffic. And it's, it's really impressive. I mean, as far as scooter drivers, I would think probably Cambodia or Vietnam might have the best of those. But I have seen all kinds of things that, you know, a lot of these folks only have scooters to get around. And it, it makes sense because a car might be difficult to park. The fuel can be expensive, things like that. So scooters are very practical. But I've seen all kinds of different things on the back of scooters because that's the way that they move things from one place to another is on the back of a scooter because it's probably the only vehicle that they have. I've seen two double beds on the back of a scooter, must have been 60 pineapples on the back of a single scooter. I saw three full-grown live pigs on the back of a scooter, and they were somehow tied on their back side by side, and the driver was completely pressed up against the handlebars. I don't know how he drove, but I actually got a couple pictures of it out the window. And it was just unbelievable. I mean, these were full-grown adult pigs that were alive on the back of this man's scooter. <laughs> I've seen a, a dog, someone's pet, a medium-sized dog just sitting loose, like you might sit next to the fireplace on the back of this man's scooter, just driving along at uh, 30 kilometers an hour in traffic like nothing was happening. <laughs> truly, truly amazing. That must take some serious skill in order to balance all that on a scooter and then still weave in and out of that traffic. Yeah, I don't know how they do it. It's truly impressive. And there, especially Cambodia, I don't know that there's really even a single traffic light, at least one that anyone abides by. The traffic just flows. 
and it just works. And I think that it might even be a better system than having, uh, you know, four point stop signs or stoplights. And those roundabouts are a bit of a hybrid where it keeps the traffic flowing. You don't have to do those, you know, stops unnecessarily. But in Cambodia, especially, someone merges into your lane and you just pull over to the side and let them in and keep going. And it just it just flows and it works beautifully. And I wonder if it's not a better system. Now, it would never fly here in the U.S. because you know, I don't think you get people to do it. But the people that have grown up doing it, it's a, it's a pretty great system, if you ask me. <laughs> Yeah, I think it would be really hard to get all the Americans to be on the same page and not have any lights here. I feel like that'd be chaos here. Yeah, absolutely. So I know you on your blog page, you have this highway code of India. What kind of drivers have you encountered there? And what are some of those differences in driving that you've seen? Well, India has some of the best drivers too. Now, first of all, they drive on the left side of the road, which of course was opposite to what we do here in the US and uh, North America and a lot of parts of the world. So when I'm just a passenger, I've never driven over there. That throws an extra level of anxiety into it because you know, I'm, I'm thinking of things the opposite way when it comes to, well, who's got the right of way and things like that. But the Indian drivers, especially the ones that we have for our vehicles, our group vehicles, I mean, these are professional drivers, they are super calm. They, I've had drivers that will just lay on the horn all the time. And and there especially, and in Cambodia, it's really just to let someone know that you're there. It's not about getting angry or get out of my way, honk, honk. It's like, dum, dum, I'm here. Be aware that I'm, I'm on your left or coming up behind you, whatever. Just sort of a warning. I think that system works well, but it does make for a cacophony of, of horns just 24-7 in some places. But the Indian drivers, especially the professional ones that I've worked with, are, are super calm and they just have patience like you can't believe because you have to. I mean, if you didn't, you would go nuts trying to get angry every time someone cut you off or blocked in front of you or took a turn when in front of you when they shouldn't have. I mean, there's just a thousand reasons that I might get irritated with the other driver. But, you know, when you're doing it every day for your whole life and you're a professional driver or even not, it just become immune to it and just go with the flow. You have to. As I was reading your blog post, I was because we have been to India, I was like, yep, that's accurate. That's very true. <laughs> Especially the horn. I agree. That is 24-7. Our uncle even told us that nobody uses their rear view mirror. And he just had, I think it was a CD player or something just covering it. He's like, nobody uses that. It's only windshield driving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe it. It's They call it the sonic fender, the horn. And it just lets people know that you're there. It's kind of the same thing happened in... in happens in Cambodia. And one time we had a driver who just every time anyone would walk up towards the side of the road that we were on and he was driving, he would honk. And the person had to have known that this medium-sized bus was coming down the road, but he had to just let everything and person and car and tuk-tuk know that he was coming. So he, he was honking for like three hours straight. 
And finally, I had to call my local tour operator. I said, could you please ask him not to honk the horn like this? I mean, if there's, you know, if it's we're in danger and there's an accident about to happen or it's you know, really emergency, absolutely. But not every time, you know, a chicken comes to the edge of the road, he's honking the horn. And it was super irritating for three hours. Oh, I bet. That must have been so annoying. <laughs> I know you have, you're mostly the passenger when you're in other countries from the sound of it, but has being in those driving situations influenced your driving back here in the U.S. or are you still the same kind of driver? Like that doesn't affect your driving. I don't think it really affects my driving. I, I've been to Europe probably a hundred times now and I've only rented a car twice. And mostly the only reason that I don't is that, number one, it can be very expensive to park. Uh, fuel is very expensive, especially if you're staying in bigger cities. You, you always have to deal with parking, figuring out the different signs. And it's just so nice to take trains or buses or sometimes I'm driven and either go door to door or just walk things like that. But the couple times that I did drive, one time was in Croatia and Montenegro. And that was fairly innocuous because that was somewhat rural where I was. So it was really nice driving and it wasn't difficult. The place I was staying in Kotor, Montenegro had a parking spot. So I didn't have to worry too much about that. But this past year, I rented a car to drive in the south of France. And that was an interesting story. And, and the reason I did is because there's not a lot of public transportation, especially in the more rural parts of Provence and the Dordogne and places like that. So I wanted to have control and to be able to take off into little side roads and things like that. So I rented a car and I was flying in from Morocco to Nice and my flight got in late. I want to say it was supposed to be in 11.30 p.m. and it got in about 12.30. And so I contacted the, the rental office and I said, well, the office closes at 12 o'clock p.m. I said, oh, no, I, I, I got to get my car, you know. And she says, well, I'll tell you what, you can pay an extra 40 euros and the, the office manager will stay. I said, fine, I, I've got to have my car. They ended up not charging me the extra 40 euro for whatever reason, but I did get there late, got the car. Then I get into the car and I cannot find reverse. I've driven stick. I've driven stick forever, but I hadn't driven stick in a long time, probably six or seven years. You know, I remember you used to just kind of, you know, pull it over to the left and back and that was reverse. Well, now, on, at least on this car, you had to pull something up on the shift to then be able to move it into reverse. And I didn't know that. And I'd never seen that before. I think it's a fairly new feature. And so it took me like 10 minutes to figure that out. And thank goodness my car was backed into the space at the car rental agency. So I was able to kind of let it roll out. Actually, I think I had to push it out, but I ended up finding reverse. And, and then immediately I hit a toll, like right out of the airport, there's a toll. Now I got to figure out how the toll system works there. All these different things that you really don't think about. Then all the signs are in French. Imagine that, <laughs> right? A lot of times they're French and English or, you know, the local language in English, but that's 
uh, I hate to say it, but very American of me to assume that that would be the case there. But I'm in France. Why should there be English signs in English, right? So it was interesting because I can't tell you how many words I recognized that we use in English that are of French origin. So I was able to kind of squeak by. And over time, and I was there for like two or three weeks. And so I was able to figure it out. But it, it, it was always something. Then I couldn't figure out how to get the GPS working because I never use GPS. I usually use my phone, but I paid extra to have GPS in the car. So I wanted to figure it out. And then I couldn't get it off of French. So <laughs> yeah, the, the woman talking to me is speaking in French, but I knew that there had to be a way to get her to speak English. You know, it was just one thing after another like that, which it was just a comedy of errors. I couldn't figure out how to use cruise control. Then there was some sort of a proximity indicator that every time I went over one of the lines in the road, it would honk or it would beep. Couldn't figure out how to turn that off. <laughs> so <laughs> it was just one thing after another, but it was quite the learning experience. That's hilarious. Especially I, when you like got the GPS, I was like, well, isn't it going to be in French? But then you had trouble figuring that out too. So it's just yeah. funny, but yeah. at least you had a good time. <laughs> Yeah, I tried to make the best of it and not get too frustrated. Also really good that your car was backed in for you. I was just imagining you trying to reverse and then the people just sitting in the office being like, look at him, he can't even get the car out. I know. It was embarrassing, but I figured it out and I'm here today. Now you know. <laughs> so if money and cost and all this was not an issue, would you prefer to be the driver or would you prefer to be the passenger? I love to drive. I, I do enjoy a nice long drive, but man, I love to be driven too. <laughs> I love not having to think about parking and traffic and concentrating on the road. I'm probably 50-50 on this. Now, when I travel, I'm on the road eight or nine months of the year, and I probably hardly ever drive during those eight or nine months. So when I do come back to the U.S. and I drive, you know, it's like riding a bicycle. I'm it's not like I have to figure it out again, obviously, but I, I enjoy driving sometimes. I like to maybe listen to podcasts and things like that when, I, when I'm driving. So I miss that when I don't drive, but I also love to be driven and not have to think about that stuff. And when I go on scouting trips, because I organize and lead tours around the world, I, when I go on a scouting trip, which means that I go usually a year ahead of the group to try things out, do everything, experiment and meet everyone and test out the hotels, visit the uh, the restaurants and meet the hotel owners and things like that. I'm often driven around by either my local tour operator or a guide, or sometimes even a third person who's a driver. And then me and the tour operator are able to talk and discuss and do things like that. One time I was in Turkey and I was scouting and I had a great tour operator who hired a driver to take us everywhere. And when I'm on these scouting trips, I usually see two, three, maybe even four times the amount of things and activities and places. We might go see two or three hotels a day. Obviously, you can only stay in one. So they're zipping me around pretty quickly to do all these things that I would never do that many things with a group because you just, it would be impossible. But the one time we were in, I think it was Bergama, Turkey on the West Coast, and 
we're going to see some ruins and I'm checking that out. We're walking through the town. I'm getting some photographs. And then I said, okay, I, th I think I got all my shots here and I've seen everything. Man, my tour operator gets on the phone, calls the driver. The guy screeches up, the door flies open. I get in and, and he takes off. And it was such a, a luxury. And I felt like a rock star because I, I did, almost didn't have to think of anything. And it was just like door to door all the time. That's that's luxury for sure. <laughs> when you are driving, how would you describe your driving? And would you say that your family and friends would describe your driving in the same way? Yeah, I like to think I'm a very good driver, safe. I always like to be the second fastest person on the road. And I usually drive about 10 miles or nine miles over the speed limit. Knock on wood, I haven't had a ticket in probably 35 years. I like to go fast. I mean, I, I, I'm not a speed demon, but I don't like to go the speed limit, that's for sure. And I think people would agree that I'm a, a very good driver, and I don't think anyone's afraid to drive with me. So since you like speed, I'm guessing you enjoyed that whizzing around in Turkey then. Yeah, if I recall, that this was five, six years ago, but I remember the driver was very good and very conscientious and, and nothing worse, uh, especially if I'm with a group. I won't tolerate a driver who's unsafe, no way, o or with my own life, but especially if I'm leading a group and, and we've got a driver who's unsafe, which, God, I can't remember one or two times in over 100 trips that we've had that happen, but that's a real problem. I mean, I never, ever put one of my groups in, in danger. It's nice to be zipped around like that. I feel like a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> you were talking earlier about how some countries honking is just part of the driving culture. Would you consider yourself someone who tends to honk or a honker? No, no, I'm not. I rarely honk. Maybe if you know I'm at a light and I'm behind someone and I could tell they're on the cell phone or something and the lights changed and it's been three or five seconds, you know, I might just do a quick toot to let the person know that, you know, hey, come on. But I, I'm not a I'm not an angry driver, I don't think, but I, I very judiciously use the horn because I think it should only be used in emergencies or just quick reminders like that. Well, since you are, you said, more level-headed when driving, what would you say is your biggest driving pet peeve? Oh, it really bugs me when I am at a light making a left turn and the person in front of me, there's one car in front of me, and they don't pull out into the intersection to make the left. And then, you know, they're waiting for traffic coming towards us. Then when the traffic ends, they go and the light turns red and it only allows one car to go. I'm always very courteous and I, I've heard different things that I don't know if nowadays this is considered illegal to, to actually go into the intersection and wait till it's safe to take that left. But I th I've got to think it still is. But, you know, I'll pull out as far as I can so at least one or two other people can make it through the light with me. It doesn't make sense for just one person to go at a time. So that's something that, that really gets me. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely saw that as a big problem, like especially when you're driving in the city. You're like, there's no way anyone's going to make it unless if you actually sit in the intersection. Yeah, I mean, you pull up there, let one or two other cars behind you get through. It's safe. And, you know, it's just inconsiderate to wait until you're the only person that can get through and then the light turns red. And it's, it's such a waste of time. <laughs> 
That and what really also bugs me with left turns is if there's a person in front of you and they don't pull up to the line far enough so your signal just never turns on. That too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, right. Or, or also people that don't use their turn signal. I use my turn signal all the time and I want people to know that I'm getting ready to turn or I'm going this way or that. And if someone doesn't use it to let me know, I'm, I, I consider myself a very courteous fellow driver. And so I guess I expect that of other people and it doesn't always happen. That's for sure. You know, Romania, speaking of turn signals, what happens in, in Romania is oftentimes they will drive, like there's a lot of just two-lane roads. And so people will actually turn on their opposite indicator, like the turn on the right indicator, meaning that they're going to pass you instead of you would think that would turn the left one on to pass you on the left because they do drive on the right-hand side of the road. And that was always something that I had to get used to. They often will drive half on the what do you call the apron, the, the right-hand side? Oh, the shoulder? The shoulder. They'll drive half on the shoulder and half on the road. And this is actually a, a courteous thing because it gives you room to pull around them, but they might have their flashers on while they do it. It's interesting how these different cultures drive around the world and have these different ways of doing things. And you know, if you travel much, you, you really have to figure that out pretty quickly wherever you go. I'm just picturing somebody either like from the U.S. going there or from there coming here and they're just doing what they're used to. And then the others are just like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it would be hard for me to be driving there and do and drive the way that they do or use the indicator the way that they do. It would take a while to get used to that because it's the opposite of what I would think <laughs> is the way to do it. Doesn't mean my way is right, but that's the way I've, I've grown up driving. I still can't. I don't understand the whole put the right signal on to go left. I can't process that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they're telling the person behind them that they're going to the right so that you can go around to the left. I don't know. I, I can't explain it. <laughs> <laughs> At least they use their signals. Here, it's a rare few people who actually use their signals. You feel like here in the U.S., there's uh, people don't use their signals? Oh, yeah, definitely. In Chicago, I haven't found that. To me, it's especially when someone's a speed demon and they're they're really racing through medium amount of traffic and they're not using their turn signal. That's just really dangerous. And it's just, it's, I think it's people just trying to show off. I mean, that's when you should be using your signal to let other people around you know that what you're doing. Yeah, we're in Maryland and I feel like one in probably 20 cars will actually use their signal. Wow. I guess I'm pretty lucky here in Chicago because I would say one in 20 doesn't, I imagine. So since you are a level-headed driver, I'm imagining you haven't had road rage yourself, but has anyone ever had road rage towards you? I mean, don't get me wrong. Of course, I, I get irritated and I might bang on the steering wheel for something that someone did, but I'm not going to get crazy and get out or get into an argument with someone about anything that's happened to me so far. 
But one thing that really does get me is someone giving you the finger. I would never do that to someone. And there's people that just use it willy-nilly. And to me, that's super offensive. And it's not something that I just throw around ever. But, you know, them's fighting words. It's just wrong. And I, I think a lot of times people just use it not even thinking how strong of a signal it is to the other driver and that I don't like. <laughs> But uh, as far as road, you know, seeing road rage, gosh, I can't remember having seen too much. Not, not really. One thing that is certainly parking, and especially in a place like Chicago that gets a lot of snow, there's always the stories in the winter about people shoveling out their cars that are parked on the street and then pulling out and then someone drives right in and takes it or they try to put chairs there, which I guess is illegal. And so that that can always stir up some big problems. Not anything that's ever happened to me, but I know that that can really be a problem. You spend two hours digging out your car and then someone just pulls right into it. But I don't think that you can just put some chairs there or something to block it for eight hours for you to come back after work kind of thing. Yeah, that's crazy. I I don't think okay, we don't get that much snow here, but imagine the frustration. <laughs> it's like I said so long shoveling. Yeah, I I don't know what the right answer is to that. <laughs> Take the bus. Well, now that we know the kind of driver you are, let's go back to driving first. How would you describe your first time driving experience and who was it with? You know, I think my mom probably took me to practice before I got my license more than anyone. We would go to just like one of the big parking lots in the area, whether it was a church or a business, and just drive around. And it was a great way to learn, you know, get used to those pedals and how the steering works and things like that. I got my driver's license on my birthday, on my 16th birthday, and remember driving ever since. I just, I've always been a very confident driver. I went to a driving school, so I didn't do, I don't remember that it was actually even offered in my high school. It might have been, but I didn't live near my high school. So I, I went to a local, I think it was called Adams Driving School here in Chicago. I remember the first time, and I think about this often, almost oftentimes when I'm merging onto the expressway and you know the importance of getting up to speed and just kind of finding that space to to merge into and i think probably the first time i did it i was somewhat intimidated you know i was timid and so you're going kind of slow and the traffic's passing you and that's definitely not safe you need to be up to speed with the traffic to be able to slide in there and so from that day on that i that i did that with the instructor I, you know i don't think i ever did it again and so on my 16th birthday i got my driver's license and was driving ever since but i would say that my mom was the one that that really taught me trusted me to take me out and show me how to drive and things. I, I never drove stick. I didn't drive stick until I bought my first new car when I was maybe 24. And I bought a stick on purpose. I actually bought it intentionally so that I had to learn how to drive stick. I'd driven it a few times before with friends' cars, but I never had a car or spent much time in it. So this forced me to learn how to drive stick. And it was one of the best things I ever did. The other th one of the best things I ever did was learning, was taking a typing class in high school. 
I don't know if people think about that, but especially at my age, and I'm 57, but back when I was in high school, yeah, they offered typing classes. And that was one of the best things I ever did was take a typing class. But I also feel that way about the driving school. How was your first time driving stick? How was that experience? You know, I'm sure I was a little bit hiccupy, but I, I don't remember grinding them too much. You know, it was my car now, and so I had to really be careful and learn how to do it. But again, it's one of those things where you, you, when I rented this car in France last year and hadn't driven stick in probably six or seven years, it took a little bit of getting used to, but I picked it up right away and it was no problem. It's a little bit different when you're trying to parallel park or to make some three-point turns or something like that. It takes a little getting used to, but I think I always did pretty well with it. I'm curious to know, because a lot of the guests we've asked in the past, they usually say no to this, but did you have to parallel park on your test? And do you think it should be part of the driving test? I don't recall, but I'm pretty sure it was part of the test. And I absolutely think it should be part of a test because it's a really important skill to have when driving. I was just on the road the other day and this lady was trying to pull, you know, I could tell she was trying to parallel park and there was just no way she was going to be able to get into the spot at the angle she was. And I almost pulled over to ask her if she'd like me to help her. But she had, there was a couple of people, I think, that were driving with her that were kind of guiding her as much as possible. But uh, I think it's a very, very important skill to have. So I, I definitely think people should need to learn it. I agree, especially in like a city like in Chicago or like Baltimore. If you can't parallel park, what are you going to do? <laughs> Keep driving in circles? Yeah. No, there's no way. You, you got to know that skill. They took it off of the Maryland test right now. Uh, that's why I'm just curious to know how many people had to do it and then if it's still around or not. Yeah, I've got to think for sure that it's it was on the test that I took. I even remember, I don't know if you guys had to do this, but when I was in grade school taking like bicycle driving tests and having to stay between the two lines that were six inches apart with your bike and going through cones. And that I think is really good training for driving. You know, it, it helps you to be more confident. I remember it was always the slow kids that were weaving all over the place and could never stay between the two lines. And you need a certain amount of speed to be able to stay straight. And, and all that stuff is just really good training for driving, I think. Wow, you guys. Yeah, a lot of good training. I did not. I haven't. Even, I've never heard of that. Yeah, I mean, there was driving. I, I think to be able to bring a bike to school, you had to go through this riding test. And we, you know, this was like before, up until sixth grade. So we probably had to be in fifth or sixth. And, you know, there was a course that they laid out. And I think it was really good training, even for driving later, because they wanted to be confident that you knew how to ride a bike to school safely. That was the whole idea. Yeah, that does make sense, especially at that young age. You yeah. want to make sure that the student gets there safely and knows how to ride that bike. For sure. So thinking into the future of driving and with the possibility of cars being able to drive themselves, what do you think about this and would you be comfortable getting in that car? Yeah, I mean, it's, it would, you know, I'd have to see it happen for a while before I, you know, and all the testing and everything. And I know that they're working on it now, but I've got to think that eventually that's going to be a thing. And we're just going to be able to jump into the back of these driverless cars that are probably going to be safer than, than we are because they don't text, they don't put on makeup, they don't, I don't know what else that I think that 
in the end, they could be a lot safer than man driving. I agree. I would not be one of the first people to be like, yes, I'll have a driverless car. <laughs> right. I mean, they're talking about trucks, huge trucks. I mean, that's a whole nother deal. I mean, for the most part, they do it with airplanes, I suppose. You know, I mean, talk about big vehicles. <laughs> you know, there, there's always a pilot in there as a backup. But I've got my pilot's license too, and that's another thing that that driving allowed me to be very comfortable with flying. And so it was, you know, I was very comfortable flying, especially going solo the first time with fairly few hours. And my instructor said, I think you're ready to solo. And that takes a lot of coordination because you're, you, you know, you got your, the wheel in the left hand, you've got the power in the right, you've got rudder left and right feet. So you, you know, you're doing four different things at one time where with driving, it's not quite like that. Maybe with stick, it's a little bit more like that, but having to be coordinated, I think just a good skill almost for anything. That's really interesting. I didn't know you had a, a ability to drive a plane. So do you prefer being able to drive a car or be able to drive the plane? Oh, definitely plane. <laughs> they say that flying is the second biggest thrill that you will have in your life. What's the first one? Landing one. <laughs> so, I mean, it's one thing to get them up in the air and to be flying. It's pretty easy because you're just gliding for the most part, but they all come down. There's no doubt that every one of them comes down, but to be able to land a plane correctly is uh, quite the thrill. I agree. I mean, there's a terrifying, I guess, thrill when pilots don't know how to land them properly. We've definitely been on some planes where I specifically remember one where we were landing and I seriously thought that one of the wheels flew off. That's how hard we hit the ground. <laughs> <laughs> that's scary. Sure. But yeah, I mean, that's that's scary when you're coming in that fast and especially on a commercial plane with hundreds of people. I don't know if I could fly like that. <laughs> Bonus question time. Are you ready? Uh-oh. Sure. <laughs> Hit me. If you could make one new driving law, what would it be? Oh my goodness. You know, I think it comes back to that that pet peeve where, you know, you have if you don't pull up into the intersection to take that left, you get a ticket. You hold people back unnecessarily and you're not being safe, you should get a ticket. I think that would probably be my my new rule. That would probably increase the revenue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or get a ticket for not using uh, the turn signal. I think that probably is technically something that they could give you a ticket for, but they probably almost never call people on it. Yeah, that's definitely something that, at least here, people are getting a lot of tickets. Yeah. I don't know how they would enforce that, but that'd be an interesting law. Yeah, right. To me, it's all about letting other people know what you're doing and how you're working with them. Hey, I'm going to do this, so be aware. And that's, I think, where that whole horn honking thing comes in in a lot of parts of the world is, you know, hey, I'm here, honk honk. In theory, it's it's a good thing, but it can be aggravating or irritating <laughs> to hear that all the time. Yeah, I can imagine. Do you have any final thoughts or any tips that you would like to give other drivers? You know, the, the more you do anything, the better you will get guaranteed. And, and I, as a photography instructor, so I teach travel photography, I say, you can't get worse at photography as long as you're doing it. 
And it's kind of the same with anything. So the more people are out there driving and getting more comfortable with it, the better drivers will be. But I think we're probably driving less and less just because who wants to be in traffic and there's fairly good public transportation available to us. So someone doesn't have a lot of experience. Uh, I feel comfortable not driving for two or three months when I'm traveling and then coming back and jumping right in a car. But some people, they might take a couple steps back in their driving skills. So kind of ease into it and just be aware of that. But just get out and practice and you can't help but get better. Yeah. The more you practice at anything, like you mentioned, is how you get better. I don't know if in terms of driving, I feel like there are some drivers who the more they drive, the worse they get. But I hope for the most part, the more you drive, the better you should get. (laughs) Yeah, In theory, you should get better, but it doesn't always work that way. Well, thank you so much for coming on. And I know you have a blog and a YouTube channel that you're about to launch. Can you tell us a little about that and where everyone can find it? Absolutely. I have two two travel brands that I organize and lead tours when we're traveling. So one is called Photo Enrichment Adventures and the other is A La Campagna Experiences. But I'm also creating, I just launched a uh, travel blog called The Continental Drifter and that can be found at continentaldrifter.co. And I'm getting ready in the next couple weeks to launch a YouTube channel, which is something I've been trying to get off the ground for the last, I don't know, probably eight or nine months, to be honest, but I've wanted to do it right because anyone can start a YouTube channel today with just doing selfies and putting them up on YouTube. But I want, as as a photography instructor and tour organizer and a pretty well-traveled person, I I wanted to have, there's a certain quality I wanted to have for it. And so I finally found a really good editor and a really good person to help me with the behind the scenes stuff. And now that we're not traveling with with COVID at the moment, I'm looking back at a, a lot of the content that I've created over the years that I've been wanting to do something with. And there's all these little interesting vignettes, people I've met, things I've done, seen. So we're putting those, packaging those into short YouTube videos with narration. So that's at uh, YouTube and you can look for Continental Drifter there. And I'm really excited about the channel and, and for this new way for me to share my knowledge. Well, thank you again so much for coming on. We had fun talking to you about all your fun, interesting driving experiences around the world. Thank you. It was really a pleasure. And keep it up, ladies. This is such a a unique format. And I was very excited when you asked me to be on because it's very, very original. I feel like Ralph has such a cool job. Like he gets to travel for a living and then go to these different countries, create these tours, take people on these tours. But at the same time, I can imagine like how much work has to go into yeah. being able to put all of that together. So kudos to him that he's able to do all this. Could you imagine being dropped off at the wrong border? Like what if they had left? Like how did they end up at the wrong border? Like were there not a sign that said this is the Azerbaijan border? They must have been as good as directions as I am. <laughs> <laughs> And the way that he was describing driving is in Georgia, so I'm pretty sure they could have got turned around very easily. What if you were dropped off, but they left? Like, what would you have done in that situation? Why would they have left? 
I'm pretty sure you got a phone. This is not like you were not stranded without a phone, I hope. Okay, well, like, what if you didn't have, you were depending on the Wi-Fi and didn't buy phone service like we did when we went to Australia? <laughs> what would you have done? I'm pretty sure he, since he does this for a no, job. I'm saying if you. You just start walking back. They're like, sorry, wrong border. Just start walking in the other direction. Nope. Don't want to come here. Nope. How far do I go? Which Not direction? Not that border. <laughs> <laughs> Try again. <laughs> like family feud. <laughs> Not that border. Try again. <laughs> just be like, which direction? Oh, that direction? Okay. Start walking that way. You would just walk. What else are you supposed to do? <laughs> Excuse Taxi? me, sir. Give me a phone. Taxi? Yeah. Would the Could you ask the border patrol person? <laughs> like, can I call those people back that just left me here without confirming that I was in the right spot? You probably just Thanks. look at you like, no. Well, do you <laughs> want to let me cross? I have nothing else to do. <laughs> For his rental story what would have happened if the rental office was like nah we're not staying open and you were in this situation yeah what would you do i'm asking you i answered the other one what would you do i don't know <laughs> i probably i would probably be so stressed out to the point that i i just wouldn't be able to function would i have to drag you around like we did in the airports this way that way run <laughs> Yeah, probably. If you were not there with me, I would probably still be in that spot. <laughs> Just standing there? Uh, until the morning, and then they'll be like, oh, hello, how long have you been standing there? Since last night. <laughs> so, in those countries, it's often usually, like, manual I was just about to option. ask you. Yeah, I was going to ask you. Would, would you-, you be able to drive manual? <laughs> with, that, with having no experience driving manual, I don't think they would let you. Well... I don't think I would have rented a car in the first place if it was manually, like, if manual was the only option. That's true. But then it's also like, they, do they drive on the opposite side of the road? I don't think, I don't know if they do. That, I don't know if France does, but there's very select few countries that do. I feel like I would be open to renting a car. If they drove on the right. If they drove on the same side as we did, because adding that layer on top of it i would be so confused and i would have to like stop at every turn to be like left or right yeah and i would be holding which lane (laughs) i would be holding up traffic so bad because i would get to every stop or every corner and be like okay wait i need to get on this side of the road (laughs) but i'm curious to know from all of you would you choose or opt for manual or automatic like what would your car choice be if you were going to a different country Share them with us either in the comments below or come chat with us in our Drive With Us podcast community on our Discord server. Link is in the show notes below. And if you or anyone you know has any crazy driving experiences and would like to come onto the show, you can fill out the interest form on our website at drivewithuspodcast.com. And be sure to stay tuned until the end of this episode for a sneak peek of next week's episode. Thanks for driving with us. And now, a sneak peek. But I remember driving in New York, sitting in traffic on a bridge. We really couldn't go anywhere. And it was back to back. I think there was somebody coming from behind, trying to get in front of me or something like that. I just remember the guy getting out of the car and screaming obscenities at me. And getting out of the car, because his car was in front of me, and screaming. I won't even repeat what he said. But just these expletives. And I was just, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. I really thought that I was going to, like, he was going to throw something 